Hey, Stanny, I've sent an invite to your DM, but you can go ahead and request if you're if you're not seeing that. Oh, there you go. You're a speaker now. We're just going to wait uh, here for Sandeep, uh, and then we're going to get going here. Sandeep, same thing. You should have a you should have a. Oh, there you go. Perfect, perfect. Guys, usually we uh, give a whole lot of time and talk shit at the beginning to let everybody come in, but I want to be respectful of everyone's time. Stanny uh, only has. I think about uh, 15 minutes to chat today. Of course, guys, just to give some context, we do this every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, really, my favorite part of the part of the week. Uh, go ahead, click that little arrow button at the top if you can, uh, and share this with everybody. Let's get some more people in here. Um, and that's really the context today. We're talking largely about layer twos, and in, in the front half, we'll be talking primarily uh, with Sandeep and Stanny about Polygon and what's happening there, but generally about layer twos. Obviously, I think that's a hot topic with the congestion we're seeing on Bitcoin, the Ethereum network, largely for memes, of course. And we'll get deeper into that conversation in the back half around 12 o'clock. I have Munib Ali joining from Stacks, uh, some other uh, members of his team, Ordinals folks uh, who will be chatting about all that. I'm just pulling up a tweet right now uh, specifically from Stanny that I, that I want to talk about. Uh, Stanny, first of all, man, how you doing? Thanks for joining uh, last second. <laughs> I know that uh, you weren't planning to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, actually, it's a very good time to talk about, uh, you know, the gas fees and, and scalability, uh, everything that is happening, uh, not just actually in uh, the Ethereum ecosystem, where, where pretty much most of my work has been uh, in the past years, but also in, in the uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, ecosystem as well recently. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the perfect time to do that. So listen, I have a tweet up here that I that I pinned. Uh, with these gas fees on Ethereum, I'm glad Lens went with the path for Polygon Momoka for now. Social networking artifacts require very high throughput, but not necessarily the L1 security and some actions can't be even limited by the block time. So obviously, this is a topic you know a bit about. As you said, you sort of started on Ethereum, but you've been expanding onto layer two. So I guess generally, let's talk about why you chose to do that and why that is the solution in your mind. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, essentially what, what blockchain is, is providing is, is security. And that security comes uh, with a certain price and cost. You know, when you approach the security perspective from Ethereum community kind of like have this idea, like you know you have you want to have sufficient uh, you want to have uh, wide decentralization to whatever things you want to agree upon. Um, so, so basically, that might be uh, financial transactions doing uh, on chain. What 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 is interesting about that discussion is that um, you know if if you apply a level of uh, very wide decentralization, and that's very hard. to what is decentralized uh, enough? And it's something that we've been um, not just thinking about when it comes to actually uh, selecting and, and thinking about like what networks to use and to what kind of use cases, but also in, in applications uh, uh, as well and where kind of like the line of uh, decentralization li uh, lies. And for me, what's, what's, what's been fascinating is that, you know, currently in, on Ethereum ecosystem, we have 47,000 nodes, which I, don't see 
as, as acute amount of uh, security to ensure like global sell- settlement layer for uh, financial transactions and, and some even non-financial use cases. But I think that kind of like the more, more uh, fascinating question is that, you know, what, what, are, what is the amount of security for certain things you really need to uh, use um, and, 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 and use that security to govern certain um, activities? You know, we started earlier um, a few years ago uh, by, by building decentralized finance uh, with the Aave uh, protocol and the Aave ecosystem. And something that we noticed is that, you know, financial transactions, uh, because of the states uh, we have, because of the value locked, you know, decentralized finance went from fluctuated, has been fluctuating between 50 to uh, 200 billion. It's a significant amount of value uh, in the ecosystem, uh, even still a very tiny portion of uh, finance compared to the whole uh, financial uh, ecosystem. So you want to apply a wide amount of security, but when it comes to actually uh, new type of uh, um, use cases, uh, which in our case that we have been uh, solving as a as a challenge is the social networking. So basically, how how do you actually set up a online presence uh, in a way that um, you could actually have some sort of uh, artifacts that you have guarantees provided by the blockchain? So what we understood that's uh, and what we did is actually we took a, a concept of uh, social network and different kinds of artifacts or like features that exist in social networks. And that's basically um, creating a profile pretty much you have in every single use case with uh, online presence, social networking, creating your uh, social graph. So it's basically uh, who you follow, uh, friendships you make, um, your, pe- your, your pre- peers online, and, and then the ability to share identify content and then we added one more more Web3 native uh, concept is, is the collect feature. So collecting, not just liking, but actually collecting for consuming digital uh, goods um, as, a, as a kind of like a more Web3 native feature. So something we realized that uh, <clears throat> some of these artifacts, they don't necessarily need the, to be on uh, layer one, but they actually could be elsewhere. We've decided to go uh, with, with very early on because we understood that's actually it's interesting amount of security to uh, to use to secure, for example, profile, the, the follow graph, um, um, and also the content that you uh, collect. And then recently with Momoka, what we did is basically we said that you know you don't actually need to have a single transaction uh, with executable blockchain environment. You can take some of these transactions and just uh, dump them into a data availability layer, you know, and the users are happy that they have this execution. But what's uh, what's fascinating where the direction where we're going is that we're actually saying that, you know, we have um, a good amount of security in layer ones, but what we could actually do is that we could transact somewhere else and settle that state into um, the L1 execution environment, uh, let's say for example, Ethereum and batch transactions. Um, as well. So what we're doing is that we're transacting in a kind of a more suitable app-specific uh, transaction environment, uh, but we're periodically inheriting the security uh, from, for example, Ethereum, which makes a fascinating thing. And I think uh, L2s are su- super exciting now because we see all this uh, gas, increased gas costs on, on layer ones. Uh, but also it actually starts to come significantly exciting with solutions like CKVM where 
you know, the gas costs are going and transaction costs are going down for the users as more and more people onboard to this uh, new L2s and start to actually using them. Ironically, like we see a lot of uh, the shitcoin activity happening in optimistic rollups, but we need to see that happen in some ways in ZKVM so we can get that lot of activities. People can actually see that the transaction costs can actually be substantial lower and you can get the inherited security from uh, Ethereum. And I've seen kind of like initiatives also building a social network directly on L1, having the ability to, let's say, uh, make the comments um, or follow on Ethereum. But it's just like we've done that process and we've done that research that it's going to be very hard to scale in more bigger, um, kind of like a more mass adoption. And this is where the uh, layer twos become become very important because it's actually a technology stack that, that allows you to you know, onboard substantial amount of users without incurring that uh, significantly increasing cost. Because on Ethereum, for example, every single user adds more cost on layer twos. Actually, you can have cost savings as more and more users are onboarding. And that's the kind of like a fascinating uh, piece of a component that's, that's uh, in front of us. Can any of this be solved by other layer ones rather than layer twos? I mean, that's what some people have argued. So why, why layer twos as opposed to having a different layer one that has, you know, I guess sacrifices a bit of that security for that scale, scalability uh, speed and low transaction fees? I mean, you could you could use some different layer ones for sure for some artifacts. Like uh, in terms of lens, it's it's really modular also in the sense that, you know, uh, you can use the piece of components and choose where you want to secure some of the, the artifacts. Uh, you know, so, some users might be happy that um, their, their profile is on Polygon POS uh, with certain amount of validators, but uh, you might have users that want actually uh, layer one security from Ethereum, but at the same time, they still want some sort of uh, usability uh, as well and, and scale. Will the layer ones, uh, layer twos come coming into the place. So the significant difference uh, here is that you can use the one security and you periodically inherit it, which which provides that uh, scale. Because end of the day, the, the, and also uh, something we have to remember is um, it's not just like, you don't have to necessarily be on the same exact rollup as everyone else. I, I actually think that uh, there's a lot of value in compatibility um, in, in various different ways. So like in finance, you want, uh, execution compatibility, but when you go to things like <clears throat> social networking, um, you actually want to have more of a guaranteed amount of throughput that you can have certain transactions and you have a good state. And that's so you don't want to, you don't have to even uh, share a, a state with other uh, participants um, in the same uh, rollup uh, network. So you can actually have dedicated. You, you basically have a dedicated lane. Uh, highway, which is something where what you need, especially where you start boarding more and more users uh, into the space. And is it fair to say that Ethereum and certainly Bitcoin as layer ones right now are effectively dysfunctional or broken without layer twos on top? I mean, we've obviously seen ordinals and uh, memes effectively BRC20s 
back up the mempool to historic levels on Bitcoin and ETH transactions at any time there's a meme like Pepe or something, uh, obviously the fees go up massively. Yeah, I mean, that's the common story that there is some sort of a um, trading activity, especially a lot of the trading ha actually happens on chain, which is amazing. That means that we have more <clears throat> more transparency on, on, on the financial transactions because the settlement finality is on chain um, and, and not necessarily on exchanges where people give up the custodies uh, of their funds. But, you know, the the, the other side is that uh, you lose that um, you, you you will see that significant increase in transaction uh, cost, and it's not the first time that it that it happens. So it's 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 a periodical problem. But this is the first time ever we we have functional uh, L twos. I mean, we have the optimistic L twos. We have now zk um, EVMs as well. Uh, Polygons has has been doing an amazing job with the uh, zk EVM. That's a live network as well. Um, and we have a POS networks as well, like the Polygon POS. So like, there is a lot of optionality there what, what you could, could use. And it's actually interesting to see now where the users are starting to go, because if you're going to see high transaction costs um, on day-to-day -day and, and week-to-week -week basis, you're going to start finding a new, new solution as a, as a user um, and as a developer. Danny, I think you might have to go. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the 15 minutes uh, and and giving us that perspective. Uh, and you and I are due for a much longer conversation, buddy, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. All Bye. right, Sandeep, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. What about you? I, I'm good uh, watching this uh, circus and, and, and enjoying it from from the outside, but I guess you're like uh, more involved in it, obviously. Well, than man, I am. like your life is, I envy your life. Like, you know, being out of this circus and enjoying it from outside, you know, seems very exciting. But inside the circus, it's very hard, man. Like, it's, it's, it's really, really hard to build these, you know, token startups. Uh, because they have all the problems and shenanigans of a normal startup or normal, let's say, uh, company or organization. And plus, on top of that, you add the decentralization and token and community management and all those things. So I, I in my mind, it's kind of like the hardest, uh, you know, things to build. I agree. So it, with with that in mind... You know, what we just talked about with what's obviously happening on Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, mm -hmm. certainly. Does that offer you some vindication? Does it help your cause? Does it help you convince people that they should be building on Polygon because it uh, solves these problems? Uh, I think, like, see, like, uh, with Ethereum, even when you have a fees of, five or ten dollars to do a let's say a transaction or a swap it's already high enough right to for people to understand that you need more scalable layers uh to 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 have these uh, you know applications built on top of blockchains right so i don't think like you know these kind of crazy days where you start seeing like 200 dollars 300 dollars kind of gas fees or transaction fees to do small things helps us that much because you know we don't understand that the the enemy is not 
like you know people within the like you know the projects actually your competitor competition is not with uh, the other players inside of this industry but it's with the outside web2 world or with this current like you know ai hype and all that i was in uh you know medici event uh, in la like 4 days back and you could see that you know the with all the uh, you know uh, the media and the investors uh, currently ai is the most hip thing right like crypto is kind of like everybody is like no even after 10 12 15 years like you know it's 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 not ready and all those things so i don't think these days actually help anyone because everybody uh, uh, from the outside world the uh, you know the institutions the investors and all that they see that this technology even after 10 years is is in a very uh, 10 15 years is in a very nascent state so I, i i don't subscribe to that that it kind of vindicates anyone it's not helpful for anyone yeah But too yeah. too small of a community to even talk about competition inside of it that that makes perfect sense obviously yeah. and and I'll go I'll go out on an even further limb and say it doesn't really help when uh regulators and legislators are looking at us and we're trying to make the case that this is a serious and meaningful asset class and then all you hear about is pepe yeah exactly and uh, also like you know you when they hear that you you talk about this thing being the next financial infrastructure or you know payment applications and all that and then this then you know they see that okay the you know the transactions are like transactions cost from 100 to 200 dollars like you know that that's not a payment that cannot can never be a payment platform or can never be a you know scalable uh, you know scalable financial infrastructure so that also doesn't help and yeah like all these meme coins <laughs> definitely i don't think that they any of these help our uh, bigger cause but polygon does have the low transaction fees and the speed that's needed so why is the narrative continually only looking at bitcoin and eth is it because they're just larger and they have the attention of the media i mean you guys have partnerships with it seems like every company on the planet at this point absolutely like yeah i mean i think the there is no doubt that bitcoin and ethereum are the bellwethers of this industry and uh, anything that comes new uh, you know initially gets tried out on these platforms they, that's where the maximum you know uh, large investors are and all that but the other part is like you know also why these are like these things always happen on uh, bitcoin ethereum is that the largest speculators are also there right and you know like the 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 biggest problem with all of us is that you know we are still stuck in the speculative loop like you know these are small games uh, that uh, you know the community keeps playing it makes it fun but uh, keeps it fun but you know it's 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 sad that you know even after like i think the dodge dodge coin came in what like you know i think 16 17ish right yeah And but it's even been before. like six, yeah. yeah it's been 6 7 years and we are we keep seeing these uh, you know meme coins uh, every now and then and ma- many many kind of useless but uh, you know kind of speculative uh, use cases and definitely that's not a good look for the external regulators and institutions and everybody else uh, yeah yeah i mean it's hard to make an argument at this point that the main purpose of crypto is not speculation but you know 
that's for now because it's nascent and small, but you guys are building quite a few things that could change that narrative. I mean, doing partnerships, like I said, with the biggest companies in the world for real fit for purpose things is very different than gambling on memes. So, I mean, while you talk about a, some of the more recent things, some of the bigger partnerships you're excited about and some of the more, let's not focus on all this negative. Let, let's move on to the positive and all the things you're excited for and that are being built. Yeah, so I mean, see, uh, what Stani was talking about, all the scalability challenges and all that. So, you know, the the job is not done yet. Like, you know, we are, uh, with the current ZK EVM, we, you know, kind of, uh, I think, uh, created a new, or, or created a new inflection point, wherein, you know, you now have full-blown, fully, like, you know, kind of, or like, you know, fully EVM-compatible, uh, chains where the developers can deploy their uh, you know things and uh, de- de- can they can deploy their smart contracts and applications and things like that but then again it's a long way to go from there these like you know we have launched a full blown roll up we need a validium setting also where the gas fees can become extremely low because with roll ups you are still s- still sending both the proofs as well as the uh, data of the transactions back into the back into the Ethereum blockchain, which makes the transactions still fairly costly, but which is very good for DeFi because you have hundred percent security of Ethereum. Uh, but for uh, you know, kind of many social use cases, you would need uh, Validium kind of settings, which you know we are working on with the with the same stack. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in future, like also these sequencers and provers need to be continuously upgraded to, to handle like millions of transactions from a single application per day. Uh, so all of that is like, you know, it's happening. And I think, you know, we are still, I would say, um, maybe six to 12 months away from where like, you know, we can, we can open blockchains up for, uh, let's say like even like for now today. Why do you see this high gas fees is that all these blockchains existing, even on like I, I can feel, you know, I can see that even Polygon is experiencing currently a little bit high gas fees. Like, you know, obviously it's still very low. It's fil- still like, you know, low digit uh, cents, but still like, you know, it's bigger than or higher than a normal days. Right. Because even with these like very few, uh, million users like let's say maybe right now I think even even with the, all these high gas fees and all that you would have like you know 2 to 3 million daily active users which is nothing in the larger scheme of things and right now I think the moment we start approaching like 3-4 million 5 million users a day the all the blockchains will get choked like you know it's not about one blockchain layer 1 layer 2 layer 3 doesn't matter which blockchain you are everything will get choked for congestion because that's the that's the capacity uh, of the blockchains today. Combined capacity I'm talking about, right? And we need to take this combined potential capacity to 50 million to 100 million DAUs. And then you will start seeing some applications which can handle, let's say, individually handle a few million users a day. And co- in combined uh, for the overall blockchain uh, space, we can start seeing like, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 million users a day on normal days and 50 60 million users on the on a, on a, on 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 like you know really highly speculated days and all that and that would be some that would be the place where we like you know at, at least i will be 
like more satisfied if we start seeing some real world applications because otherwise uh, you know it's 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 not a very happy look like you i mean to be honest uh you know you know being and it it it's it might sound bearish uh you know being uh you know a founder of one of the biggest projects in the space but it 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 makes me very bearish on our overall space when i don't see even now you know real high quality applications uh you know breaking out and becoming big right so it like i i want to take the capacity of the networks to that level which i said like you know 50 100 million users the net capacity the total capacity and then start seeing some applications and reevaluate at that point in time that okay you know now we have the capacity are we now seeing the applications which can really uh, have like you know large number of users and all that like and if when we reach that capacity 50 200 million users and even then we are not seeing any any applications that would be a very bad look and you know everybody in the space would need to reevaluate but that but i am very optimistic that once those capacities are there like you know with these applications like uh, you know what stani is building with lens protocol and all that when the scalability is available for them these applications will start going through uh, a new you know kind of uh, surge in their growth and we'll start seeing a lot of applications which are which are uh, you know uh, really successful those are sobering numbers actually because you know we talk about bringing 500 million or a billion people and basically you're saying at 3 to 5 million we're already at full capacity And you and I have talked about this a lot of times in the past. I mean, this goes back to what I asked Danny. You know, could a layer one handle all this? I guess that makes the answer clearly no. And what you've said to me in the past, we kind of joked about it was layer two, layer three, layer four, layer five, layer six, yeah. layer seven. I mean, is that the direction that we go on to handle this at scale for true mainstream adoption? Absolutely. Like you know, I mean, there is no doubt that uh, you know these computational systems. uh you know they grow in the uh they grow in the fractal patterns and uh, you know definitely uh, like the way internet has grown today uh, it has grown you know in a in a fractal pattern right like you have the large uh, intercontinental lines and then you know then each country will have their own subnet and within subnets you will have more subnets and more subnets right so that that the system or the internet grows has grown in the fractal pattern that will that will be the same thing for for blockchains also but what's important is that even though internet is has grown in a fractal pattern uh you know unlike these layer 1 layer 2 layer 3s and that's why we don't believe in layer 3s actually you know when i say layer 3 i i will just come come to, come to that and very soon you will see a very high and uh, specific uh, offering from polygon which will solve this uh, uh you know interconnectivity between blockchains uh, once uh, you know once and for all especially using the zk technology that uh, even though these blockchains might be settling on a layer 2 layer 3 pattern but they should all be directly interconnected and that's that's also that is something that we are working on on a, in our research mode and uh, you know very soon we we are at a place we have already reached the place where uh, you know we can start uh, you know talking about it uh and you know present the vision uh, to the to the community and that will be the larger vision of the polygon right so uh you know when i say the polygon i mean that that internetwork of all these uh, you know interconnected blockchains and that's how all these networks uh and these computational systems 
or uh, communication system scale they scale in fractal patterns uh, and and you know there's there's no doubt that uh, you know to get in order to get those you know hundreds of millions of users on on chain we will need uh, these uh, you know fractal pattern growing uh, blockchains whether it's you know like multiple blockchains interconnected blockchains built uh, on top of each other but with zk you it offers you uh, the capability to to have ethereum security across multiple chains right like security and decentralization of ethereum uh, it can be passed on in a low cost manner uh, to 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 these various uh, multi stage or multi layer chains so I understand. yeah definitely yeah. that's yeah. the thing I, I understand the idea then that they would be interconnected. I, I like to use the term interconnected instead of interoperable, but I talk I, that that makes me assume you're talking about all of them within that multiple layer stack on ETH. What about interoperability with you know Solana, Avalanche, all the uh, Bitcoin, all the other blockchains in theory? Because let's be honest, like we've talked about interoperability a lot, but it's been a complete shit show, right? That's where a lot of yep. the exploits and hacks come, uh, and so. That hasn't really worked out that great. That may just be because it's so early, but are there solutions for that? Or are we really talking about just, you know, building out these multiple layers on one uh, base layer? See, from the Polygon's, uh, you know, point of view, we personally are like, you know, internally are, are focused on building this interoperability between various Polygon chains. But between the various different layer ones, layer twos, I think there are multiple, uh, you know, uh, multiple third-party platforms that are building. Uh, obviously, we have seen some big hacks on that, but then also some very uh, competent teams and formidable teams are building on uh, are building on on such platforms. Uh, I think we all know about like these, uh, you know, projects like Wormhole. Uh, we know about Socket and uh, Biconomy is there and Seller Protocol. Uh, and then you know connects network there are like tens or like at least 10 high quality teams which i uh, have seen and uh, th th that those are uh, you know working on these things and uh, i think between these heterogeneous networks i think some of the third party platforms will be will end up using it or end up uh, you know creating these platforms which will provide that interoperability uh, but we are more focused on providing that interoperability first like solving it for within polygon blockchains like you know right now that itself is a mammoth task to make it like a streamlined uh you know very high uh or very low latency interoperability and potentially you know smart contract uh composability across these uh small chains uh, uh like you know individual chains so we are very focused on that and uh you know talk like we can only talk about these other chain integrations uh, once we are fully able to build out uh, what we need to build uh, that is within uh, the Polygon ecosystem. But in the meanwhile, we are banking on some of the third-party systems who will end up solving this. Now, the last time somebody else had both of us as guests on the spaces, I can't remember who was hosting, but uh, you and I were kind of laughing and I think it was a really important point that we're still in this phase where nobody outside this echo chamber has any idea what the hell we're talking about ever, right? We're talking about EVM and ZK and Rollup and Optimistic. And I think it's just like, we're so far over anyone's heads. And I, I sort of made the point that 
if in a year from now, I don't really know if that's the accurate timeline, but if in a year from now we're still even using the term NFT, proof of stake, layer one, two, three, roll up ZK, that we have completely lost the plot and failed, right? That we really need to make the terminology, but the technology, we just need to ab abstract away all of that complexity so that people don't have to think about the technology underlying. Yep, absolutely. I agree with you that, uh, you know, like blockchains will not succeed uh, or Web3 will not be like, you know, mainstream till the time blockchains become invisible. So blockchains will have to make them invisible in order to in order for applications to come on the front. Uh, and otherwise, we, like, again, this this will remain a niche for some some people who are like, you know, involved in this speculative uh, stuff. Uh, so yeah, blockchain needs to be needs to make themselves invisible, and I think this account abstraction uh, campaigns recently, or account abstraction technology, which is being adopted by multiple teams, and uh, you know various teams are working on it. Uh, you know, I think Argent is there again. Biconomy team is working on that, and there are multiple other uh, you know AI initiatives, account abstraction initiatives, uh, and then you know we also keep hearing a lot of things about MPC related stuff so i think some of these things can actually really help uh, you know get the user experience to a very uh, you know simplistic level uh, and yeah without that it will not uh, we will not be able to see mass adoption of web3 yeah that makes perfect sense uh, actually i just brought up sally uh, she messaged me a question that she had for you we don't usually bring up uh, people from the audience but i'm going to yep. go ahead and allow her to ask you a question I will take that. Also, Scott, like, what? What's the? Because I also, uh, you know, uh, need to hop now because you know I think for my calendar also it was scheduled for half an hour. So is it is it scheduled for a longer duration or? It was it was scheduled for an hour, but uh, I oh. see Al Alex Miller is in the audience, and I'll bring him up. We were going to start talking about uh, yes. the Bitcoin side of it, and I and I know also um, that uh, Munib will be here in a bit. So can I just have Ali uh, Sally ask you this one question, and then I'll let you go. Amazing. Yep. Awesome. 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 Let's, yeah. Please go ahead, Sally. Hi, thank you for the opportunity. I never thought I'd get the mic. Um, I just wanted to ask a quick question that, um, what are your um, visions for NFT ecosystem in Polygon and, um, um, you know, any alphas for the founders? Um, you know, how are we uh, thinking of sustaining and building the, you know, uh, Polygon NFT ecosystem? And um, this question is from Drill Club. We were a free mint. And yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, see, uh, on the on the Polygon uh, ecosystem side, like we are uh, NFT ecosystem, we are working very, uh, you know, we were working hard on creating, a, you know, kind of an organic uh, ecosystem uh, on NFTs uh, within the Polygon ecosystem. And we see now a lot of artists, a lot of creators have started uh you know considering polygon as uh, one of their top choices for their uh, you know creative journeys and uh, you know it has grown multifold in the last uh, few months and uh, many times like you know even if i uh, you know uh, i mean on 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 like 30 days uh, sometimes if you if you check the volume uh, for 30 days 35 days and uh, or, or like 60 days kind of horizons 
पॉलीगॉन जनरली यू नो इज डूइंग वेरी गुड वॉल्यूम पॉलीगॉन इकोस्टम इज डूइंग वेरी गुड वॉल्यूम्स इवन ऑन दीज यू नो एन एफ टी काइंड ऑफ बाय एन एफ टी मार्केट प्लेसेज ऑल दो एंड आई थिंक मेनी टाइम्स एंड मेनी वीक्स इट हैज बिकम द नंबर टू प्लेटफॉर्म आफ्टर इथीरियम यू नो वेरी रिसेंटली बट वी एक्चुअली डू नॉट लाइक यू नो बिकॉज दिस इज द दिस इज द मेट्रिक्स विच द कम्युनिटी यू नो वैलिडेट्स एन इको सिस्टम on uh, but otherwise like what we believe is that you know kind of the ecosystem the kind of ecosystem reddit has created uh, nike swoosh is uh, is doing starbucks odc campaign all that we think that some of these uh, kind of uh, applications will really break break out i definitely hope that you know reddit adds kind of marketplace marketplace uh, functionality or something like that for their end users where where the larger crypto community starts seeing because we all just want to see the speculation we don't you know like nobody really appreciates like not nobody but you know very few people appreciate the fact that you know reddit has now 12 million nft holders who have those avatars and you know they are like uh, you know very heavily interacting with them and all those things uh, uh and uh, you know uh that's what uh, i think like that's what we value a lot but then again on this crypto native like speculative nfts or these like you know marketplaces volumes also polygon is doing well and we are very committed uh, to make uh, for making polygon like uh, you know after ethereum uh, the largest uh, you know place for uh, nfts uh, whether it's the speculative nfts or like the nfts being used for the brand engagement and things like that so that's why you see all these brand engagements and all that technically every large brand is doing their nfts uh, with polygon and uh, similarly the, on the crypto native side like a lot of artists and off late like polygon has become the most uh, kind of sort after place for launching uh, their uh, you know nfts or creative collections so hopefully we keep doing the good work and uh, you know eventually see polygon emerge as the top player in the space awesome i appreciate the extra time and uh for answering her question and um Always a pleasure man we're going to obviously I'm sure I'll talk to you in like 2 weeks or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Thanks. sure we'll do it again soon brother. Have a good one man. Alex how Absolutely are you buddy? Man. Hey Thank man. So much. How's it going? Hey Sandeep. So Alex and I finally met in person after all of the uh screen conversations uh, at at Consensus uh and that was sort of I think I consensus this ordinal and BRC20 controversy was really all starting to bubble and now we're seeing it I think peak coming into Bitcoin Miami next week which should be uh interesting for anyone there so I mean you obviously heard the the conversation with Sam Deep and Bradley Stanley before I mean what are your first takes I guess on the role of layer 2s let's talk specifically about bitcoin and what's happening there because that's what you're building yeah i was going to say needless to say i am i am quite bullish on bitcoin l2s and actually for anyone if scott i don't know when you're getting into miami next week but there's actually the bitcoin builders conference on wednesday so the day before bitcoin miami starts that is all of the uh bitcoin l2s so stacks lightning rsk There's actually a bunch of ordinals people too, which is L1, but I think spiritually is almost like an L2. Um, so there's going to be just a day packed with all kinds of uh, content on exactly this, like how do we build the entire Bitcoin ecosystem, all the programmability around Bitcoin. So if anyone wants to go, check that out at BitcoinBuildersConf.com, C-O-N-F. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. 
we've, I, I assume most people here have been at least aware if they're in your space about everything going on in, uh, you know, Bitcoin and like the cost of transactions for the last week, the fact that for the first time, I think in the chain history, transaction fees actually exceeded block rewards uh, for a number of blocks over the weekend which is, you know, amazing for the future of Bitcoin, because that's kind of absolutely critical for the long-term viability of it. Right. I, that, that answers the question of what happens when all the Bitcoins mined, right? We've already exactly. seen it in a microcosm here in one day or, you know, one week. This is the crazy thing to me about, like, the maxis who are, like, complaining about us using up all the block space on Bitcoin. Like, either it is the most valuable resource in the world or it's not. But you can't be like, it's the most valuable thing ever. But God, don't let anyone use it. I mean, what are we supposed to do then? But yeah, like, look, the halving is coming up in April. So block rewards are already going to go down by half. And then over the next 30 years, they're going to keep going down. Like, we need people running valuable operations on top of the chain or miners will have no incentive to keep mining. Like, it is an economic system. So yeah, I'm, I'm like really excited to see what's happening there. But what it also means is that to keep the chain usable, to keep it accessible to people, um, we have to go to layer twos. There is no other way around it. Like five, six years ago, the block wars were fought. We said, okay, we're sticking with four megabyte blocks. Like it's inherently limited. It's only, you know, blocks are 10 minutes long. Unless you're going to go, you know, completely re-architect all of Bitcoin, which I do not recommend doing, like, got it pretty good the first time out. But like the one key limitation is it's not hyperscalable. It doesn't have smart contracts on it. Like that's where layer twos come in. Satoshi even saw this back in 2010. Like he said there would be other networks that reuse the hash power of Bitcoin. And that's what folks like Lightning and Stacks are doing is we're reusing that hash power, all of the security generated by these miners, but bringing the scalability that will ultimately allow for people to, yeah, send transactions in a second for free, effectively, um, instead of, you know, in 10 minutes for $150. I wish we had uh, some toxic maxis here to argue with us, because I know you know that I tend to uh, agree with your your take there, but it would be nice to, to have had the other side, but I didn't uh, invite anyone to take it. It's just interesting, though, then it, it, it leads to the next question, which is, We've now come to the point where something effectively clogged the network, mm -hmm. right? Which makes fees high and, you know, 400,000 transactions in the mempool is relatively absurd, let's be honest, right? Yep. Um, we got to that point, but are we at the point where there's actually any layer twos that are fit to purpose to solve that, that enough people know about where we can actually solve this before we start to hear the narratives for six months that fees are too high, it's too slow, and it's not working, right? What what pushes people to the layer twos right now? Because my guess is that 99% of the people still don't really know they exist, don't know how to use them, and are we're just now going to be bitching about block space for the next few months. Yeah, I think it's mainly going to be bitching for the next few months. Like, you're not, you know, you're seeing folks rush to get some solution in. Like, Binance has said uh, that they're going to, you know, integrate Lightning payouts right away um <clears throat> but not enough people have lightning wallets like it's it's going to take a little bit of time i think what this is going to do and what we've already seen we started the, seeing this when ordinals came out there was a rush of new builders coming into the ecosystem uh a lot a lot of folks came over and started you know either just building on bitcoin or you know building both on ethereum and bitcoin we saw folks who hadn't built in crypto coming in before so there is nothing that's going to happen 
tomorrow that is going to solve this. Like, it's just not, we're going to deal with the fact that the chain is going to be crowded for a little bit and that people are going to be complaining about prices and block space, just like we saw in the Ethereum world when this happened. Um, but that's necessary because crypto is a free market. I think most of us are probably pretty big fans of free markets. And like, that is what is going to cause these to really get invested in and really get built out. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's, there's going to be some necessary pain, but like, th this is what people will do with it. You know, in the, in the stacks world where I spend most of my day, you know, the big thing that we're working on, uh, in there, that the ecosystem I should say is working on is what's called the Nakamoto release. It's coming up. It's going to have two big things in it. One is moving from like 10 minute blocks that match Bitcoin down to five second blocks or under five seconds, potentially even we'll see. Um, and the second is a synthetic trustless Bitcoin asset called SBTC. So basically you'll be able to totally trustlessly peg in your BTC into the Stacks network, run whatever transactions you want, use whatever smart contracts you want with these, you know, five second blocks. And then whenever you want it back out in Bitcoin, you peg it out in Bitcoin, you you peg it back out um, where a network of open network of decentralized signers, which might sound familiar, kind of like Bitcoin, uh, will verify the transaction and restore it. And so like, we think that's one way that we're gonna really help uh, scale Bitcoin. Everything's still settled on, totally secured by Bitcoin, um, but it'll be faster and cheaper for people who want to do more of the programmable stuff um, or even potentially some basic uh, sending operations to do it there um, while preserving the real power of the Bitcoin chain for like, again, just decentralizing trust globally. Since I have to now be the guy who plays devil's advocate. So in the short term, where we talk about this pain, what does that mean for your average person in a country with hyperinflation who bought Bitcoin or is using it for, you know, missions to send money to their family and it was cheap and now they're sending 20 bucks and it's costing 20 or 30 bucks to send what does that mean for them and retaining them? I mean, maybe they're largely using Lightning. Frankly, I don't believe that. But uh, I, I mean, this is kind of a problem, at least in the short term, for that narrative that this is an asset for poor people who are doing remittances or in foreign countries with hyperinflating currency. Yep. So I think, number one, it doesn't undermine the core value proposition for those folks as an inflation hedge, right? Um, the asset is still there. If anything, it is, you know, by increasing the utility of it, by increasing the number of things it can be used for, um, it increases the, the usability of it as an inflation hedge for people. So that's at least an upside. Um, yeah, if we're talking about the next three to six months, if this level of activity keeps up on the network, it will hurt their ability to use it directly for remittances. I think there is at least a good enough solution out there for people right now in Lightning. And I think we will at least some see some more of an adoption of Lightning for people doing that. But again, it kind of comes back to in a situation like this, you have two choices. Number one is you create a system, you create an open market like we have with Bitcoin and you allow things to shake out where they will. And sometimes there are going to be ill effects like that. Or you have some kind of centralized planning committee who says these are the appropriate uses of this technology and not, and this is what the costs are, and you're only allowed to do it for this and that. And well, we've already got that option. If you, if you want to do that, just, you know, go buy U.S. dollars and send it through Western Union or whatever and don't use 
crypto. But like the entire point to crypto is that like it's this open market, it's decentralized. Like, yes, it's going to be messy. But I think what we've seen time and again from, you know, democracies versus autocracies and everything is like, it's going to be a little more painful uh, getting it set up. It's a little rougher. You know, the autocracy looks really clean and nice, um, but it doesn't get built nearly as strong and it implodes a lot worse. Well, I do enjoy watching like the toxic maxi side twist themselves into mental gymnastic pretzels saying that they support permissionless oh my God, systems so and, 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 but they, we need their permission yeah, to yeah, do yeah. things we need... uh, with, with the Bitcoin network. You really can't like, I'm a libertarian, but also don't use this uh, permissionless system yeah. for, for You're using the permissionless system wrong. But I mean, that really seems seemingly has been the consensus here. Uh, and I, I just do think that this is temporarily very problematic. And if it continues, I mean, you said if we see this continued level of congestion, uh, listen, I, you know, I'm a trader. So that's my mentality. I, I think that's going way up, not way down. I, right. So we're at a present level. Uh, but I think ordinals obviously are just getting started. BRC 20, nobody heard of two weeks ago when we were at consensus. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is just the beginning. So if these solutions don't scale or become more readily available quickly, I think this problem gets way worse before it gets uh, better. Yeah. So I think I think it rides a little bit of a middle ground uh, or follow I, what I should say is actually I think it follows a standard hype cycle. I don't know where the local maxima is on BRC20 in particular. And like, you know, the, the really bad congestion like people were complaining about ordinals before, but like, whatever, it, it drove the prices up some. The really bad congestion that is coming on right now over the last few days has <clears throat> really been driven by BRC20. And part of the problem is it's just an, in, in, in an attempt to be more fair, it's also kind of an inefficient standard. Um, but that said, it's also happening right now because of like the land, you know, the gold rush land grab situation in you. You have to get in there and mint right now, right? And like, actually, someone was pointing out on something I was listening to it yesterday, or day before, those 400,000 transactions in the mempool, like, a bunch of them are probably basically effectively dead transactions of people trying to go and mint uh, new, to you know, coins in BRC20. But by the time their transaction goes through in a day or two, they're going to have missed the window on it, right? Like, they'll have already gotten to 100% mint, and they're not even going to get it. So that's a little, that's going to be a little funny to see. But I think, you know, even, even without that, like, we're going to at some point in the near future, I think, hit a local maxima on transaction on, on the transaction costs. It'll go back down. It's not going to go back down to where it was, right? Like, it's going to be at a new level. And the rate of increase is going to be higher than it was before. But I think we will at least get a little bit of a reprieve. Um, while everyone's still seeing that, like, these L2 solutions are necessary. And it's it's that's when we're going to get it built. Um, and then hopefully a lot of that traffic moves off onto that. And again, just keeps it scalable for everyone while while keeping all of the functionality that people clearly really want. Muneeb's here. So now we've got Hi, the, uh, my full stack of stacks uh, evangelists. Uh, Muneeb, how are you? Man? Hey, hey, everyone. I actually felt bad for people. Uh, there's a Stacks podcast as well. I was like, you are, you're going to have a hard time uh, having a claim on that name. 
<laughs> so, listen, you, you've obviously, I, you know what we're talking about. I think you caught probably the tail end of that. I mean, where do you stand right now on what's happening with ordinals and BRC20 and how we, uh, let's talk about first, I guess, how we fix it in the short term. You may have missed it, but we were sort of talking about how the higher fees and congestion at this point now are making that sort of base use case of Bitcoin for remittances and people who don't have mo enough money it's making it a lot harder to use, right? And they haven't necessarily adopted Lightning or any layer twos yet. So I guess maybe let's start with talking about how we can fix that in the short term, or is this just as Alex said, sort of going to be a few months of pain? Yeah, I think uh, I honestly I don't think there are a lot of short term fixes, um, other than the fact that some of the biggest sources of traffic I think they sort of like die down a little bit. Like honestly, like BRC twenties, like if you look at it, yes, they're kind of like nice in a way that they are uh, more transparent and more like fair launch uh, tokens, but they're really meme coins, right? Like let's just call them what they are. And I think there's a, there's some level of interest in meme coins, but it also like dies down. Uh, if you look at, you know, the, the Pepe thing that started, by the way, I'm a Pepe fan, used to collect rare Pepe's on counterparty back in the day, right? So it's, it's funny that people are having fun doing all of these things, but you know, the interest sort of like dies down a little bit, uh, un uh, unless, unless I think some really big projects, like really established good projects, like, you know, stable coins or other established assets that issue wrapped assets as BRC20s, unless that happens very quickly, hopefully it doesn't happen that quickly, but it, because I do think there are real, I don't want to get too technical, but there are issues with the indexers and even how the uh, standards are defined that needs to, uh, shake out and improve and mature uh, before I think we can take more established assets like stable coins, which will be super interesting, right? Like stable coins directly on top of Bitcoin at one. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm sort of like saying in the very, very short term, if things blow up more, meaning I, I do think we are heading towards like a thousand sats fee market, uh, just a matter of like when, like how many months is the question, right? It can happen very quickly if a major project uh, does a launch. I don't know, short term, like we know we have been doing a bunch of work on these Bitcoin pegins. Um, maybe we do a more federated style version of that to quickly try to get some traffic off of L1 onto an L2, because what we are working towards is a more sort of like decentralized, full-fledged version, right? But if it's a big pain, then maybe people can trade off a little bit more centralization in the short term. Uh, to move some of these assets to AL2 and use it there and then wait for the more decentralized versions to arrive. Do you have uh, either of you uh, color metrics on how much adoption there's actually been of layer twos, how many people are actually using them? Because I have literally no concept. I can, I can give you some numbers from the stack side, right? So on the stack side, we've seen some more than 50,000 smart contracts deployed, which is, which is I think, pretty healthy. Uh, the number of developers is, I think, in hundreds, not not thousands, if, if, if you look at uh, monthly active developers. I, th I think Stacks was like Project 28 or something. I don't want to get this wrong, but Alex, maybe you, you have the data. It was Project number 28 in terms of how many active developers there are. In terms of users, I would say uh, the wallets have seen... Um, 100,000 100, 100, average would be the main wallets, like more than 100,000. 
uh, type users. So if you look at Ethereum, um, Ethereum, let's call it 500, 600,000 daily active users. I think on the Stacks L2 side, I would say definitely less than 100,000 daily active users. So not, not, not a lot, but also not nothing, right? Like these things are very, very new and, and relatively small right now. Yeah. Uh, do you have any idea with Lightning? Because that's obviously the one that we hear the most about. Lightning is even harder to track, right? Because it's like Stacks at least has a global ledger. So there's on-chain activity that you can just track. Like you know how many contracts, how many unique addresses and, and so on. I think the unique addresses, again, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's probably not the 400,000 or, or something like that. Uh, but on Lightning, it's totally peer-to-peer. The only thing you can track on chain is on the Bitcoin L1 chain uh, when the channels settle, right? So people try to measure uh, nodes, like how many people are running nodes. I think it's in the order of uh, lower digit thousands, I would say. Uh, I've seen numbers as high as like crossing 10,000 at, at, at some times, which is healthy. I think number of users, like I was talking to Udi and Udi said that basically the total uh, transaction, like the total economy size is that of kind of like a Walmart, what a Walmart does in a day. <laughs> Alex, what do you think? That's, that is... that's pretty funny. Uh, we, we, by the way, now I just have to laugh and, and, and uh, we've, we've invited Udi, so he may join us in a bit, but uh, and, and he'll always offer some color I, at the very least. Alex, so I, I was going to say, this is why I love Udi. He has such a way with words and framing it as what a Walmart does in a day. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the I don't know, I think last time I looked, there was like 75,000 some odd lightning channels and with like five or 6,000 uh, Bitcoin, you know, in, in them across it. Um, so, and it's, you know, it's been, I think, on a steady linear track up. Uh, I think it's just waiting for, I don't know, at some point, um, the breakout. I mean, I think this kind of goes back to the idea that one of the challenges I think that Bitcoin's had is there just hasn't been that much you can do with your Bitcoin until this point besides send it, right? And if you go back over the last few years, like, especially, you know, folks working in a lot of different parts of the Bitcoin ecosystem, like Muneeb, have been saying you know, that everything that happens on Ethereum and happens on other cryptos is going to ultimately come back and get built on top of Bitcoin. And like, that's why everyone is really excited about ordinals is it was a really big unlock for being able to do that on the L1. So I think the, you know, the market for L2s has been smaller on Bitcoin or, you know, it's still smaller than like, you know, Polygon and the Ethereum communities because, they had a lot more of like the, you know, app economic activity as opposed to just straight financial economic activity going on. Um, but now that it's even possible and people are even thinking about it, um, I think that's kind of the first really big inflection point for it. I don't know what the second big inflection point will be, but I think this was definitely the first big one. So, you know, we'll see a lot more growth out of it, I think, over the next year yeah. than the last year. I actually looked, uh, now I can't find it because I'm just looking on my phone, but yesterday I happened to look up the daily transactions per blockchain, and I was actually shocked that Solana was absolutely crushing both Ethereum and Polygon, which obviously were yeah, more Yeah, I think, I think so. I saw that stat as well. I think Solana, uh, basically the stat said something like the daily active unique addresses 
on Solana was more than Ethereum and Polygon combined. And that's a... Yeah. So what, so, but, but what does that say about uh, the narratives, I guess? Listen, I think all of us here understand the power of Bitcoin, the security, the importance. But what does that say about the importance of that to your average person? Right. I mean, let's I see Udi's here and uh, he and I both I saw him quoting something that I say all the time yesterday in a comment, which is I was like, uh, seems like everyone's just kind of sending tether on Tron. Right. I mean, it's exceptionally cheap and it has the largest market share by far of people using stable coins. So at the end of the day, are we arguing something that very few people care about because they just want it cheap and fast? No, I, I think just pretty clear that people want cheap and fast. Uh, I, I think I'm just of the view that that cheap and fast stuff is also going to come to the Bitcoin ecosystem. And then it's one less step for people to worry about, right? Like they're going to, one way or the or another, they're going to learn about Bitcoin. Like it's the largest asset. And if they don't have to learn about other stuff and their Bitcoin wallet just does that thing, for them, I think people are not, not even going to care if something is happening on L1 or L2. Like for them, it, it's the wallet that matters. Right. So they have something in their wallet, they have Bitcoin in their wallet, and at some point they'll get stablecoin in their wallet. Right. Frankly, if they do care, we're <laughs> fucked. Right. Because there's, there's like uh, 400 of us that actually care. We were talking about that before you got here with Sandeep, but the idea that we need to abstract away all of that complexity and people just need to use it. Yep, Absolutely. Udi, I see. Yeah, after Munib, Udi, you wanna you wanna chime in? I know you, you just got here, but I think you probably have a pretty good Udi, idea of what we're talking about. Before you get in, like, what are what are you doing for personal security now? Man, this is no joke. This is no joke. I um yeah, I'm I'm currently I'm currently accepting um, accepting offers from uh, security firms, personal security firms. Um, uh, I have I have actually had some no joke that offered uh, pretty 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 pristine personal security services in return for Tapper Wizards. I uh, of course I said no. Like Tapper was I mean my life is is very important to me, but Tapper Wizards are way more important than the life of one person. So we'll see. Can I but just say no no one man should have all that power yeah Udi, i think it's ridiculous that the Mossad does not provide personal security for its agents once like they're under attack from outside like <laughs> i mean i'm not i'm not at liberty to speak about Mossad um, policy with regards to personal security of, of its agents and I, of course i wouldn't know either um but uh i would Imagine that if someone was a Mossad operative, then you know Mossad would not be able to publicly confirm it by sending like agents to, to protect them in public spaces. But that's of course speculation on my part, and I, I wouldn't know. Well, maybe I would. I just got to. I, I thought I, I just got temporarily frozen there, uh, Munib. I, uh, I was just going to say that, assuming you're at a safe place, and assuming you'll be safe next week as well, what do you like? What do you, what do you think about uh, what's going on with BRC twenties and Arnold? Yeah, no, I think it's amazing. I think that people are um, realizing that the Bitcoin block space is uh, valuable. It's it's interesting. It it always has been valuable, but it had those like limits on it um like the the value i think was always kind of there but people couldn't 
couldn't kind of uh, use it. So now that Bitcoin core developers accidentally enable Taproot and accidentally enable people to use Bitcoin block space however they want, then suddenly, you know, people are like, okay, there's actually a lot of cool ways to use this. And it turns out that it's actually one of, and I, I haven't seen many other people say that, but it, it turns out it's actually one of the most valuable ad spaces in the world too, like the Bitcoin block space, because it, it turns out there's a lot of people who are looking at the Bitcoin block space and the Bitcoin mempools and very similar to the way that um, um, I think Balaji has been speaking a lot about what he calls the bit signal and how, you know, when the Bitcoin price goes up, you have a lot of people looking at Bitcoin, right? Like if, if the Bitcoin price shoots up, like we saw in the last cycle to 60,000 Ks, then of course, everyone in the world cannot um, ignore it. And they, they, they really have to talk about Bitcoin all day in 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 you know on the news and on tv because it is such a big deal i think similarly so that is the bit signal for the for the mainstream world i think similarly the bitcoin block space and the bitcoin mempool are sort of a bit signal for the crypto world because when the when the bitcoin mempool kind of you know ex explodes with with new data that's trying to get into the block space and when Bitcoin fees go up and you look at those charts of fees that go, you know, exponentially high, just like Bitcoin did in the, in the last bull run, then people in crypto cannot simply, they cannot ignore it and they cannot not talk about it. These, that's, that's why we're having these discussions. So suddenly now everyone is looking at the signal and they're like, wait, actually the Bitcoin block space is really useful. Like it's, <laughs> it's a really valuable thing. And you can't ignore that because no one, you know, it's it's it affects it affects everyone in crypto. So, I think that's a that's a really cool signal, and I think that um, I think that people are <laughs> suddenly realizing, like people forgot <laughs> since like six years ago, people forgot that that Bitcoin actually has like this very important, useful piece in the crypto ecosystem. It's not just the coin that its number goes up sometimes; it is that, but it is also a very crucial piece of utility in, in the crypto space. And I think people are like on all sides, both on like outside of the Bitcoin ecosystem and, and also people who have been building in the Bitcoin ecosystem for a while are like, wait, damn it. This is like, <laughs> this is a big deal. This is affects our like business plans. This is affects like this affects everything. So we see this shift in like the way that people think about Bitcoin. And I, I think that's like why you see a lot of like, tensions and a lot of because this is this is just something that people forgot that is, is just the reality of how bitcoin works rudy i don't know if it's the massad or security but i think i've literally followed you on twitter five times in the last two weeks and every time i go back i'm not following you anymore no this, <laughs> i do not take responsibility for that no <laughs> oh i i know it's not like you're not like manually forcing unfollows i'm just saying there's something wrong with twitter just so you know that every time i try i get uh it's like uh asking a hot girl out on a date in high school i just get rejected um so i i guess moving on to udi then that means you're one of these guys who's clogging up our beloved network does that mean you are truly the enemy um here? it's worse than that i would say you know um yeah, I'm clogging up, clogging up the chain, but it's worse. I'm, I'm, I'm really the, the issue at heart is that um, children in El Salvador cannot eat and drink anymore. So I don't know if you know this, but uh, 
a few years ago, the, the country of El Salvador converted fully to a Bitcoin standard. Um, famous. Yeah, they don't use dollars at all. They don't use dollars anymore. They don't use, yeah. you know, any kind of fiat currency. Fiat is a scam. I don't know if, if you were told. So, so they read uh, Saifedean's book and after like every, ch every child in the country read it. And after they read it, they decided they're not going to use fiat anymore. They, they're only, they're strictly using Bitcoin only uh, and have been for two years. And it has been working great because no one else was using Bitcoin. But now that other people are using Bitcoin as well, they're, they're, there's this conundrum because they, they literally cannot, there's like all economic activity in El Salvador grinded to a halt. They cannot do anything on Bitcoin. Even even there, like some people have migrated to, to second layers like Lightning and stuff. But it turns out that <laughs> in order to get a Lightning wallet, you need to, make a, a mainnet Bitcoin transaction in order to bootstrap the lightning wall for the first time. So they can't even do, afford doing that uh, because, because it's so essentially for the last, you know, three days, absolutely zero economic activity in El Salvador. Um, there's, there's definitely some rumors that the Mossad is involved in, in like, this is maybe some international conflict. God. Um, I hope that people understand sarcasm because when I tweet it, ninety percent of them seem to miss it. But man, yeah, just no, I mean, <laughs> keep going. I, I don't know where you're laughing. This is like a very serious matter. I'm not sarcastic at all. This is we we were talking about that in a serious manner before. We weren't blaming you specifically for starving the children of uh, El Salvador, although now we have that narrative and I have the clip. But we were talking about the fact that this does diminish the argument in all seriousness. Uh, for remittances and cheap Bitcoin transactions and that people who are trying to move 10 or $20 should be doing that on Bitcoin for yeah. now, correct? So I think, but, but, but more seriously, I think what happened in the last two, three years is that um, because there hasn't been that much on-chain usage on Bitcoin, then I think some people have been building and pushing solutions that are not realistic. You know, they, they don't really match reality. They only work uh, when when... <laughs> when Bitcoin isn't being used, and you know it's okay that that's that's the way things are. But now that that the environment changed, um, I'm completely certain. I have no doubt that you know builders are going to figure out solutions to do things in a way that scales, and people will be able to do remission, uh, you know, remittances. They will be able to use Bitcoin in in stores in in El Salvador and anywhere in the world. Um, the fact that we're dealing with this now means that we're going <laughs> to find the solutions now instead of, you know, uh, continue to build things that don't work. Um, so that's, I, I'm very optimistic about this. I think this is going to be good for everyone. It's like maybe a temporary painful period of time, but it's not going to remain painful. Yeah, I, I want to plus one that. I think, I think basically the biggest thing that has happened is that there were a lot of theoretical solutions or GitHub readme's and maybe some code. And some more mature projects like had more code. And what you would see is basically Twitter arguments about my theoretical solution is better than your theoretical solution and a lot of infighting. And this has just changed the, the dynamic to saying, look, things are on fire on the actual chain and deploy your stuff and show what works and what doesn't work. Right? And that's just such an amazing filter that it, there, there's no reason to like argue on Twitter anymore. Just go and actually build stuff and ship it and see, see what works. And I think, I think that's, that's another thing, which, is a, which I love about this dynamic is um, in, in the past couple of years, I do think there was a very strong maxi grip on narratives around Bitcoin. And as the 
sort of like on-chain activity is exploding, like they basically have no influence over that, right? So it's 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 such an interesting thing that those Twitter narratives are just not holding, they're not sticking anymore because people are just looking at on-chain data and they're just looking at what the users are doing and, and they can't influence the users anymore, they can't influence the developers. Does that mean that it was not being used as the narrative said for those small transactions and you know remittances in in the first place? I mean, is it, I mean, it was basically a false narrative that was being pushed and it, it never was really happening. I think I think some of that is true, right? But the the devil is always in the details. If you if you there's a there's a reason why there there was an explosive growth of some of these technologies, and um, like let's take the example of you know lightning, which is the most talked about thing and this is a recorded talk and whenever i mention lightning i tell people like i love the project i've been a supporter since the early days of lightning but there are limitations there are limitations that you you're if you have a very small payment you will end up paying channel like on-chain fees when you're opening and closing your channel so if the total value of the transaction is below that you this is not a realistic solution for you right like you have to you have to look at something else you have to be part of a larger channel go to certain more centralized parties. And a lot of the stable transactions that were happening on Lightning, the, the, the best sort of like description is that there are almost like two versions of Lightning. One is quote unquote enterprise Lightning, which is what, you know, Cash App and Strike and these well-funded sort of like big companies and they're, they're well-connected nodes. Uh, and they just sort of like, and it's also custodial, right? Like you're giving up ownership of your, your, your Bitcoin and you're using a custodial wallet on a well-connected enterprise network, which sort of like is, is okay. It's a great UX, not, not, not that great for decentralization and sort of like this dream of everybody's like in control of their own stuff. And then there's the public lighting where there are more liquidity and routing issues and UX issues and, and so on. And I think it's the state of the public lighting network that matters more um, than, than the more sort of like enterprise centralized solutions. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of similarly there, the what's the, the public network is what matters in the long term, or again, we're just kind of recreating banks at that point. It's just, do you like the strike bank instead of the JP Morgan bank? And like, if I'm going to trust a bank, I guess I rather have the one that has a uh, government and military backing it with lots of big guns to make sure my money doesn't go anywhere and an infinite money printer. Um, so yeah, and, and this is what I was saying, I think for Udi and Neb we're getting here, same thing of like, cool, there is now a need, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and there is the massive need to solve this problem now. So like, it's going to get solved by people coming in and building the solutions here. It's just going to take a few months at least. But interestingly, they're going to be solving basically to make memes work better on Bitcoin, right? I mean, that's what's congesting the I mean, network, not the transactions. So I think actually this shows how crypto is really driving a fundamental shift in how technology is adopted by consumers. And what I mean by that is that for pretty much all of history, there has been one type of content that has driven pretty much all technological development. And that, of course, is pornography. But with crypto, we're moving to the next generation where <laughs> memes are what drive consumer adoption of technology. And I, I just think it's, it's a remarkable development.
yeah it's like it's like ethereum in 2017 right like you literally go back in time what's what was happening it was crypto kitties and it was icos right and you look at what's happening on chain right now it's uh, udi's wizards and brc20 tokens which are which are sort of like meme coins and i think they they look like toys right now but the interesting thing is the same infrastructure like ethereum had to mature their infrastructure the same infrastructure is now powering stable coins and actual serious like liquidity pools and, and things like that and then an entire generation of like builders came that was they were trying to build alternatives to ethereum because they, they thought that ethereum's stronghold uh, isn't you know strong enough and and they can actually replace it here in bitcoin i think honestly a lot of that energy is actually not going to go towards trying to replace bitcoin it's going to go towards building better bitcoin layers uh, because people, I, I think the confidence level of, for someone to say that, hey, I can actually replace Bitcoin, the monetary asset is a lot lower than trying to say that I can replace Ethereum, the, the sort of like the computing platform. And I think that, and that's why recently there's even more attention on ETL2s as well. But in Bitcoin, it's actually even more clear that most of the developer attention is going to be on the layers and, and scalability and rollups roll and, and things like that, which is, which is great for Bitcoin. It's interesting. Udi and I were both on spaces that I hosted with uh, quite a few Bitcoin maximalists a few weeks ago, and we were kind of uh, DMing about it and laughing in the background. But I made the point that at least can we say that some of these other layers, you know, God forbid we say that Ethereum has been at the very least a good test net for all these things that are going to be built on Bitcoin. Right. We, we keep saying these things will all eventually be built on Bitcoin. Why weren't they built there, I guess, in the first place is the question. I think, right, let, me, let me just quote uh, uh, Jeremy Rubin, right? So this is a guy, if people are not familiar, a Bitcoin core developer, nicest person, right? Spent his time for free, literally for free, uh, building stuff on Bitcoin, contributing to GitHub issues, proposing his solutions. And then he tried proposing a change he he was just like attacked and hammered and whatever like on on Twitter, which which is what the Bitcoin community does to a developer, right? Like by default, at least at least before Ordinals and before the the latest stuff. And he had a pretty interesting comment when he sort of like publicly said, "I'm gonna halt all contributions to Bitcoin Core." He said that uh, you know from afar, the Bitcoin kind of like <laughs> developers uh, looked like a bunch of like cool. Uh, people all sitting in a jacuzzi and you really wanted to be a part of that circle. And um, later on, I found out that the reason why the jacuzzi was warm is everyone was pissing at it. And you actually, you actually don't want to, you actually don't want to join it, right? So this is, this is the story of, a, uh, of someone who like honestly tried like engaging and, and contributing uh, to, to Bitcoin Core. So I think, that, was there a toxic culture? Yes. Is there still parts of it that remain there? Absolutely, yes. Right? I've, I've been on the receiving end of it for, for years and years and years. Right? And, and that's fine. I think the way this is, so they drove people away, absolutely, to Ethereum and other, other places and where people were building and they were supported and so on. My, my worry was more about our, some of these technologies ever going to come back to Bitcoin. Like I believe, I think logically they should, but you never know. And I think now the confidence level is much higher. Like all of the rollups research that's happening, I, I, I think there's a pretty straight path for, for that kind of coming, coming back to Bitcoin. A lot, a lot of people actually talk about Polygon 
um, they say the Polygon, I, 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 I know the founders were there uh, some time ago. It's very similar to Stacks, actually. Like, you know, I started off a looking a little bit more like a side chain, but now it's going to become more of a uh, L2 for Ethereum, Polygon with their, with their ZK stuff and so on. And I think we've taken like some, somewhat of a similar journey. And I, th I think that's great. Like there is some, there are lessons that we can look at in the Ethereum world and sort of like apply that uh, to Bitcoin, which helps a lot. I figured I'd have to rename this space as Bitcoin heretics talk. Um, we, we are the heretics, <laughs> but we're also the majority, you know, because like, I mean, if you think about yourself, like you're a Bitcoiner too, right? You don't have... Yeah, of course, I, I, like, I have to defend my I have to defend my card somehow because I like other things <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You know, they, they took my card so many no, times. But that's the thing. You, that's that is that is the, the, the crux of the problem. Like the, you, you are a Bitcoiner because you own Bitcoin, you're bullish on Bitcoin, you want Bitcoin to succeed and you believe it will succeed. So you're a Bitcoiner. Most people I talk to in crypto, like when I say most, I mean, like I probably 90 percent plus are Bitcoiners. That is uh, if, if we're talking about numbers. That is around a hundred million people, okay, who are Bitcoiners. They also hold other assets, most of them, other crypto assets, but they are Bitcoiners. And what happened is this small group of deranged incels on Twitter somehow captured this brand of being a Bitcoiner, even though we're talking about like, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000 people. Like it's a tiny, teeny, tiny fraction. Like it's less than 1%. It's way less than 1%. It's like maybe 0.01% of Bitcoiners. Um, and the reason it's a problem is because it creates, it creates these like very distorted expectations to anyone who looks at Bitcoin from the outside. So if you, if you're an outsider who thinks that Bitcoin might be something that can help you to, you know, better your life in one way or another, and you, you're like, okay, let's learn about it. You go on Twitter, you just search Bitcoin. You, 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 this, that search is going to end within 20 minutes and you're going to be done <laughs> because, because what's, you know, we've all seen it. We've all felt it like personally, but we were also seeing it like just going on on Twitter every day. Like these people are, are, are mentally ill, like truly deeply mentally ill. I see some of them in the, in the audience right now. So you guys are mentally ill and, and the, the, <laughs> that's okay. Like it's okay to be mentally ill. And, you know, I guess at some point you need to offer support. But, um, and, 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 and honestly, you know, Bitcoin can be useful for people who have mental issues. That's, that's, that's great. I mean, I don't, I don't want to not have this group using, using Bitcoin, but the, the problem is when they become representatives of it. Um, one, one, you know, one interesting thing that I saw in, uh, I think, well, all of us saw in, in Bitcoin, the Bitcoin conference in 2021. Uh, so two years ago in Miami. That was like a, a, a really difficult moment for me personally, to be honest, was, you know, you look at the, <laughs> you look at the main stage, you have this massive Bitcoin logo. So it looks like official. And then you've got like complete insane, crazy people like, like Max Kaiser jumping up and down on stage, yelling in front of the cameras, fuck Elon, fuck Elon. And we're not selling and Bitcoin forever. And, you know, you've got Michael Saylor sh shaking his hand. <laughs> on stage and this ends up like this image of Max Kaiser jumping up and down on stage with the Bitcoin logo behind him and cursing Elon Musk for some incomprehensible reason. This image ends up, you know, on the New York Times, on mainstream media. Like it's okay if some people wanna, you know, feel that they don't like Elon Musk, I guess. 
It's fine. I don't. I, it was because Tesla had just, I think, sold a tiny. Yeah, part I guess. Of their like what? No, I think they. I think it's because he said that. They, I think it's because they stopped selling Teslas for Bitcoin. They. Oh, for Bitcoin, because there were three angry people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who were willing to do. Yeah, that. yeah, exactly. And that that was that. So that ended up this small, minor, irrelevant conflict. Like no one was buying Teslas with Bitcoin anyway. So this small, irrelevant issue ended up being blown up to be the major Bitcoin event of the year. <laughs> and it just, it just, it's, it's a problem because that's not what Bitcoin is about. It's okay if some Bitcoiners don't like Elon Musk. I mean, awesome. But that's, that shouldn't be what Bitcoin is, is about, right? And the, the, so the narratives, the public narratives around Bitcoin are completely distorted. And Munib is right. It, 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 what, what ends up happening is that builders kind of end up being frustrated. They leave too, because that kind of culture of just yelling at everyone <laughs> Has is 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 arrived at developer circles too, so you know the 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 thing that 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 needs to happen. I think the thing that is happening now in the last three months for the for really for the first time in years is that a lot of Bitcoiners who have been quiet and have been silent and have not been active on chain either, they're kind of saying, you know what, we <laughs> we're still here, <laughs> we're still here. We care about Bitcoin. We're gonna use it. You know, we're going to use it however we want. We're not going to ask anyone if they're okay with it. Um, people are building solutions that don't need permissions from, like, you know, semi-retired developers that sit around on Bitcoin mailing lists. Like, what even is a mailing list? I don't know. I don't, I don't even want to explain. I mean, as I'm saying the word mailing list, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing probably most people in the space don't know what a mailing list is. But uh, supposedly that's where Bitcoin protocol decisions are made in some, like... 70s internet software that's called mailing list um anyway it's all it's all very deranged <laughs> and the the, the yeah. interesting thing that happened with ordinals with brc20s and with all of those you know kind of new revolutions is that people built them without asking for permission casey rotomore when he built the ordinals protocol and domo data when he built the brc20 protocol they did not go to the mailing list of the old gatekeepers. They don't. They didn't go to their GitHub repos. They didn't go to their little meetings and their little like Slack channels. And then and they didn't ask them if that's okay. They didn't ask what they think. They didn't submit a proposal to the old council of Bitcoin boomers. They didn't do any of that shit. Not even once. They didn't even try. They just put up put code out there that works, and they found users that want to use it. And this is why we're having this conversation today because they made it happen. And I think they showed the world, they showed the Bitcoin community, both the kind of OG people in Bitcoin who kind of gave up and both people who are relatively new to Bitcoin. They showed both of these groups that if you stop asking for permission and you just go out there and do it, then the great things can happen. I think that's the big message from all, all, all we've been seeing in the last you know few months. Interestingly, though, there's also been a bit of polarization even on that side of the community. I mean, we're literally seeing Bitcoiners that are boycotting the Bitcoin convention that you just talked about. Right? Yeah, that's, that's always that's done that, though. It's a fucking cult and religion to like people. So, like, they've always spent, like, yeah, they've always spent an insane amount of energy starting these ridiculous inner Sinai wars that nobody gives a shit about, except for like twelve people on some weird corner of the internet. 
Yeah, I think Udi was describing the last year event, but the moment that stuck out to me last year was, I forget who exactly was sitting on, on stage, but it was a bunch of people definitely on the maxi side. And they said, how many people here own Ethereum? And I remember that moment, like the camera turns to the crowd and it's like 80% or more people are of like course. <laughs> raising, raising their hand. And then they don't know what to do. And they, they go like, well, get out of here. <laughs> it was like such a funny moment. You're telling 80% of your, your actual users to like, just get out of there. Like, no, like that's, that's not how markets work, right? Like they're the majority. Yeah. Listen, and I, uh... Yeah, I love the guys from the Bitcoin conference. I literally have had David Bailey and Mike Germano both on the podcast of late, but especially last year when we were at peak insanity and there were almost 30,000 people there, you weren't allowed to say the word Ethereum on stage, but you could certainly advertise 4,000 NFT uh, products on the floor, right, to pay for the thing. So there was always that sort of aspect where it's not allowed on stage, but you can do whatever you want in the rest of the place and quietly, uh, you know, whisper the word Ethereum uh, in someone's ear as long as it's not an earshot uh, of the microphone. It's, it's a, I mean, that's a tough situation. Matty, man, what's up? I see you joined here. Uh, and I've seen you've had some very strong words uh, about this uh, on your Twitter account as well. Hey, hey Scott, how's it going? Uh, hi, Udi. Um, yeah, uh, well, on the subject of Bitcoin maximalists, I do believe that there's some serious uh, levels of cognitive dissonance happening there. Uh, being a Bitcoin maximalist is basically saying, well, you know, anybody can do whatever they want with their money, you know, except for, you know, create another competing cryptocurrency. That's That shouldn't be allowed or should be completely illegal. So, um, yeah, I've, I've even seen them siding with Gary Gensler saying, oh, yay, Gary Gensler is going to shut down the shit. Like, You're on the wrong side, man. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, as you can see, I do have a uh, ordinal PFP. It's from the Bitcoin Frogs collection. This is actually uh, Udi's suggestion that I, I um, put one of these up because we had a long conversation in the DMs. When I first noticed the transaction fees and the mempool flooding, this was a few weeks ago before meme coin season ever even came into existence. And I was like, Udi, you guys are flooding the mempool. You're, you're sending transaction costs up. And I, I like sending micropayments on Bitcoin main chain. I, I, I enjoy it and it's easy and convenient. Um, you know, a lot of the people on my team or 99% of the people on my team um, are contractors and they prefer getting paid in Bitcoin. Um, and obviously when everybody's screaming at me, lightning or, or, or other things, it, it, there's nothing with the same reach. Lightning is not Bitcoin, in my opinion. It's just, it's a terrible user experience and it's not the same. Um, but uh, Udi was basically telling me, look, you, you know, this is, the, this is the protocol. It's a free market. If I want to, you know, if I want to go ahead and, and, and create a JPEG or, or, or a dick pic on, and, and put it on Bitcoin, you can't stop me. And I realized that he's right. He's, he's literally right because, you know, it's the same argument that I used against the Bitcoin maxis when they tried to tell me how I should interact with Bitcoin. And I've been in Bitcoin since 2013. So you can't, you can't tell me what to do with it. I, I'll, do, I'll do with it as I please. It's an open protocol. And, and um, as soon as he said that, I realized, look, I can't fault him for, for, for doing anything except for, for being a capitalist. And as soon as I realized that, and I understand the power of uh, 
JPEGs and the power of memes and um, couple, that couple that with true digital scarcity that you only get on the Bitcoin network, right? Somebody can, can print a million, um, you know, NFTs on, on Ethereum and only pay for gas. Whereas, you know, Bitcoin, you're actually taking a Satoshi and, 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 and pulling it off the market. Um, so there's only, there's only true digital scarcity on Bitcoin. Uh, I, I understood that, you know, <laughs> these are going to go up a lot more than they are right now. Um, and here we can see today's uh, average transaction cost on Bitcoin main chain is, is $30. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's going up from here. Uh, right now, the Bitcoin mempool is flooded. Um, there's, there was 485,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to be added to blocks. Um, I, I, I don't know how that's going to be changed once the next difficulty adjustment comes in. But I know that the next difficulty adjustment isn't for at least another week and a half. Uh, so it could, you know, fees can fees can go up over the next few days, especially if this uh, madness continues. Um, and uh, best thing we can do is is cope with it, right? Sounds like your kids want to get in on the space, says Matthew. Maybe they have comments yeah. for us on on Bitcoin. My, my son's playing Roblox. He found the uh, the Bitcoin floor. He's got his own YouTube channel. He's four years old. I think you, um, just, made, can... I think you just minted a few Taproot wizards. Um, so l listen, yeah, we're gonna wrap this up uh, in, in a few minutes. But I, I want to a like we've had a lot of fun here, and you know I think it's uh, funny and sarcastic to sort of dunk on the maximalism and such. But I, I do want to remind everyone that everybody you're hearing here is a Bitcoiner, as Udi said. That's a very, very important to remember because I think at the end of the day, we all agree on 99% of things and maybe there's just a little gap on how it should be done or what it should be used for. But the core use cases and importance of the asset is not in question to anybody that you've heard on the stage, including people who are building on Polygon and, and you know Ave and, and all these other things. They're all Bitcoiners at heart, to Udi's point. Munib, do, I mean, do you have any final thoughts here? Uh, obviously, I'm sure you echo what I just said, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I really like um, Jameson Lop's uh, definition. He he has a pretty big article on on some of this culture, like the Maxi culture and stuff as well. And I I think this is where I find myself as well. Like a lot of people, but when I I think I go to more um, non Bitcoin crypto events as well, like not just Bitcoin events. And a lot of people there they treat me as a representative of Bitcoin maxis. Like they'll be like, "Hey, maybe if you're a maxi, maybe more logical than others." But I'm like, "Wait a minute, like I I'm not, but sure, go on." And I think where this comes from is there's this concept of being a Bitcoin monetary maximalist. Like you believe in the asset, and and, and you believe in Bitcoin, the asset that it has a fixed supply. You 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 could even be a maximalist, and um, you could be a freedom maximalist, right? Like you could say that, and I think those things are much easier to get behind, like Bitcoin as a monetary asset or Bitcoin as a freedom technology and an open network. I think those things are much easier to get behind. Uh, this uh, this other derivative culture of like a Bitcoin as the only asset, right? Like that's like more, becomes much much harder. Like people have the right to do whatever else they want to do, uh, and just let them do it. Right? And then and, and focus on building. So one one last thing I, I want to say is that um, there are a lot of like practical steps as well to provide a culture, like a healthy culture for developers. Where come especially in this time, like there there's almost like a magnet right now where so many new teams are coming in. They're building wallets, infrastructure, other tooling, both on L1, also in L2s as well. 
And one of the things that I've been pretty focused on is trying to make sure that there is a healthy community that welcomes them, that makes them feel at home, that sort of like gives them a heads up about some of the history of Bitcoin and some of these other cultural elements out there. And, and for that, even we're talking about the event, uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, Miami next week, we are basically organizing a Bitcoin developers event where for the first time, all major Bitcoin layers and projects are showing up like from Lightning, Rootstock, Stacks, Drive Chains, a bunch of new roll-up projects. And that to me is like really healthy. Let's get all the developers in the same room, focus on uh, basically expanding the pie, right? Like let's just grow the Bitcoin economy and, and give developers a home, uh, especially when uh, the spotlight is on Bitcoin. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about that. Alex, any final words? No, I think this has been a very fun uh, session. Thank you for putting together, Scott. And I, I'm glad that like you realize, yeah, we are all at heart Bitcoiners. And I'm really excited to see what this just group of people puts together over the next uh, few years and, well, even a few months to solve uh, letting people use it the way they want to. So, yeah, come to the... I agree. I just hope that Udi uh, allows us to feed the children. I know. It's, you know... El Salvador. And unfortunately, there are always going to be people like Udi in the world who try and starve children, but together we can overcome. Um I can't wait to edit this conversation together to make it look like this is all true, right? We just take select clips and <laughs> make it sound that way. <laughs> we'll make Udi go viral again. He doesn't really need our help, though. Uh, yeah, guys, that's all we got today. Uh, of course, we'll be doing this every Tuesday. We are going to be upping the spaces uh, a, a bit more so it's not as sporadic. Uh, all of you guys, Matt, even me, Alex, of course, you're welcome anytime. Uh, and otherwise, I'll be back on YouTube tomorrow. Everybody, please uh, share this around after the conversation. Uh, and it will be available, of course, on the Wolf of All Streets podcast, audio channels like Spotify, Apple Music, and such. Thank you all. That's the end of this Spaces. See you next time. Peace. That's dope.